All right. Salutations, listeners. Si Valis Vallejo. Vala Magulis. Nanu Nanu. Uh, thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men and a Basement, and we are the Ultra Crepidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Alp here. Action Jackson. And in this podcast, we review movies and we deliver to you, the listener, an average schmuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. In the show, we try to target movies that are not blockbuster smashers. We try to find ones that are not so obscure that you couldn't get your hands on a copy if you wanted to. Instead, we aim for that delightful sweet spot of movies that are right in the middle. We aim for ones that in our experience too few people have seen, some that maybe people have only heard of, or ones that may have seen initially uh, or a long time ago and forgotten about, and then maybe they deserve another watch. We review them and we deliver to you our take on whether or not we think they're worth digging out of your closet and watching them again in this the 13th 13th warrior. 13th warrior episode of the series we did huh. not review the 13th warrior I we wish. reviewed rain over me the oh. sequel to rain of fire yes that's what i hear uh matthew McConaughey is dead um they decided to draft adam sandler into the sequel they thought his egg-shaped head might uh distract the dragons and Oh, you know what? I started. It. We've got to stop this bit. Just this is an amazing movie, and it deserves more than than a bit being it, made about its name. It's, I'm oh. sorry. I'm sorry. Movie. Shame on you. This is a, a fantastic movie. <laughs> it really, <laughs> it really is. Uh, yeah. I think we really need to dive into IMDb specs because I mean, goddamn, like it's the kind of thing where we try not to speak about the movie before we get to the microphone, and I think we're all sort of like feeling the itch to to get talking about this I'm movie. Bursting. <laughs> Action Jackson's leaking uh, out of a few different places. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so, overview of the movie. Rain Over Me came out in 2007. This movie is rated R. It's got a runtime of two hours and four minutes. Uh, I I would say on that runtime, complete opposite from last week, I feel like this one like went at a, at a clip. Yeah, it mm-hmm. definitely had a brisk pace to it, and mm-hmm. it wasn't hard to follow, but it had you glued to the screen the entire time. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'll stop talking. No, no, ready, totally. I am ready to, to roar at this. I, I completely agree. I think, no. I think the, this yeah. movie, uh, uh, that two hours does not feel like two hours. So no. yeah. don't let that intimidate you. If that's something you're concerned about. And it, and it being, a, it's rated R. Yes. But you know, it's not for action, violence, nudity. You know, this is all kind of language, you know, think almost like, uh, the, the King's speech, where mm-hmm. you know that that was a rated R movie, but it was because of just the the language that's in it. And just it's, a fuckload of fucks. Fuckload of fucks. Yeah. It and it's it's needed. You know, I think it it adds like a sense of realism. I don't want the rating to turn off listeners if that's not your cup of tea, though. Yeah. No. So this. So uh, moving on to the next spec and tying into that, this movie is listed as a drama, and I don't think you could find a movie that better fits drama it's just drama that's the only thing yeah yeah and that's i mean i, I would totally agree mm-hmm. like i 100 i don't think i would peg this as anything else yeah 100 percent. yeah there's levity there's heartwarming moments but it is 100 percent a drama from start to finish uh okay so imdb uh let's see we've got mike mike binder directed this what else did mike do um uh, we've got yeah, nothing I'm recognizing. Sorry, Mike. Well, he was both the the director and the writer, allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> I was I was I thought his uh, I thought the writer was his brother, and he acted in it too. 
Did he? Yeah, he. Yeah, he had. Uh, his uh, busy DNA fella. was all over this movie. I'm sorry. The producer was his brother, Jack Binder. <laughs> well, obviously, Jack obviously Binder. Come Jack on, Binder. That was it's my mistake. I, I sincerely apologize. I feel like if you if you oh, looked Binder. up Jack Binder on Urban Dictionary, you would find a, a very, very different result. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to look up. Don't look up Jack Binder. You'll find a a bunch of pictures of dick toes. You, anyway, the wife and I were doing book. the Jack Binder the other day, <laughs> and I pulled a hammy. Woo! Uh, as okay. one does. As one does. Pulled an Adam Sandler. <laughs> and Adam Sandy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, so I'm going to move into the description of this you just, film. You just killed him. And this... I'm sorry, listeners, I'm back. I want to move into the description, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to warn you, it's going to get like way more somber than it is right now. So, uh, okay, description of this film. Prepare yourself. Get your yourself emotionally ready. A man who lost his family in the September 11th attack on New York runs into his old college roommate, rekindling the friendship that is the one thing that appears able to help the man recover from his grief. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yikes. That's a really, I think, accurate description without giving anything away. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that pegs it really well. And I'm going to say no more other than that's a that's a really well put together description. Yeah. We're going to jump into our cast list here. Um, we've got this guy, Andy Sogler. Sangler? I think it's pronounced Adam Sandler. It might be. Angie? Angie? Yeah, I, I'm Angie. pretty sure it's... it's or, is, or is it Angie? Look, we went from this like somber description right to the joke. <laughs> trying, trying to like bake in some levity because yeah. there's going to be <laughs> so much. It's so heavy. It's such it's a heavy movie. Whoa. Now, I, I've always been fascinated by a, you know a traditional comedian's ability to like... Subvert. Yeah, when when they when they go full drama, it is you know uh, I don't want to get like too deep here, but like yeah, you have to like speculate where is that humor coming from? You know, like when you you know Adam Sandler, he blew me out of the out of the park with this one. But I mean, think like a, like a Jim Carrey when he does the drama, mm-hmm. or, or when, Robin Williams. Yeah, I mean this was all it, three of them. I think yeah, wonderful dramatic actors. Yeah, and it was it was on par with with those performances from from those other traditional comedians. Um, you know, he he had his his delivery was was fantastic, but man, he made you feel some stuff. Yeah, convincing. Uh, this is actually always my movie. Like when people talk about comedians who make the transition into dramatic roles, Adam Sandler. It feels like people always bring up Punch Drunk Love or um, even Click. He sort of rides the line, and I always come back at him with like, no, Rain Over Me. Yeah. If you want to see like a testament to Adam Sandler's like dramatic acting chops. This is the movie that you need to watch. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So who else we got in this? I don't think we need to cover like where Adam Sandler's from. I mean, he's Adam Sandler. Well, there's Don Cheadle. Um, you would recognize him from the MCU, obviously, and a million other movies. Um, Dude, Volcano with uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. <laughs> he was in the command center. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Dude, I love. Uh, Dude, I love Don Cheadle. He's. I just. I feel like. All right. I was gonna say something, but but to be honest, like it's it's a little too personal to the character that is in this movie. Suffice to say, I think Don Cheadle is a genuinely nice person in real life. Having no evidence for that, I just I just feel like Don Cheadle's like a cool dude, almost like a like a Tom Hanks, you know? Yes, like yeah, like he. He's got the kind eyes, very like mm-hmm. Don Cheadle, Tom Hanks. They have those like you look into their eyes and you're just like everything's gonna be okay. 
Yeah. Because you're here. I think the perfect teeth help, too. That smile. He's just, got great teeth. Yeah. <laughs> so we also got uh, Jada Pickett-Smith in this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or is it Pinkett-Smith? Pinkett. Pinkett. She did a fine job in this. Yeah. I She wasn't the standout performance, in at least in my opinion. She played her role well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> well put. Profound addition there. Well put. Uh, we got Jada Pinkett Smith from the Matrix series, the later Matrix series. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in Collateral. Yeah, very talented actress. Also, we've got Liv Tyler in this. Honestly, one of the standouts in this movie for me, mm-hmm. and not just because she's in incredibly terms of, attractive. In terms of like talent, like yeah, like her she acting. she just killed it in this movie. In her role in particular, it was fantastic uh you would recognize her as the daughter of steven tyler uh luckily they look nothing alike so that's a plus uh but you would recognize her from movies such as armageddon or the lord of the rings saga yeah for me that's arwen she, arwen in lord of the rings always yes. gonna be arwen yep. like yeah I, I i assume that we saw her ears in this movie <laughs> you know but like I didn't. Your, I your brain just like filled in the gaps. They were yeah. pointed. <laughs> uh, she, oh, she's also in that thing you do. Yeah, man, I love that movie. I watched that just yesterday. Uh, we've also got Saffron Burroughs, who, to be perfectly honest, I would not have been able to put a name to, but uh, Deep Blue Sea. If anybody's seen that, she plays the lead scientist in Deep Blue Sea, the one who's like sort of she created the project, and you know, sharks gone crazy. Uh, so cry, cry. they just. You can't control sharks. They're sharks. Goddamn. Yeah. Uh, we've also yeah. got uh, Donald Sutherland. Ooh. Sir Donald Sutherland. Yes. I have no reason to believe that you've been knighted, but you should be because that you're a national beard. treasure. Yeah, that beard. The, the beard alone in the, in his in his In photo this particular here. photo that I'm referencing that I'm... He, he's just in this one bubble for it's me. It's phenomenal. Donald Sutherland's in everything amazing. I mean, the younger viewers will probably know him from the Hunger Games series. Uh, my go-to for Donald Sutherland in my head is uh, A Time to Kill. Oh, see, I go to just... Start the Revolution Without Me. Right on. Donald Sutherland, Gene Wilder. Fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, I'm sure that we'll talk about it at some point. Donald Sutherland, I mean, he's just, he's in everything. He's he, so, he was he's... in Citizen X. Yeah. Oh, he was. Yeah, we, we've already done a Donald Sutherland movie. That was movie. the last Donald Sutherland movie I saw, and that's who he... Oh, God, he's so good. Yeah. Melinda Dillon, uh, a name that you might not recognize if you heard it, but if you've ever seen uh, Ralphie shoot his eye out, you would know this woman. She got a thing was, for lamps. Yeah, she's got a thing for lamps, particularly ugly leg lamps uh, that are major awards. Uh, she was the mother in The Christmas Story. Which, like, that's that's like my family's Christmas movie. Objectively, I feel I can say that is the greatest Christmas movie of all time, mm. and I will, like, straight up fight people or, over it. Yeah. However... I'm not interested I'm, in getting my nose broken, so I'm not going to fight with you. I am ashamed that I did not recognize her until you mentioned it, like, halfway through the movie. Yeah. Be- I mean, she, you know, she's much older, and she's her hair is very different, she's wearing glasses and stuff, so I, d- I didn't put it together that it's her, but holy shit. It's, yeah. nice, it's nice to see her, like, out and doing things again. Out and about. Like, I mean, maybe she's been doing things this whole time, and I'm just not watching the films she's making, but good on her. Harry and the Henderson. She was in Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, yeah. Who was she in Harry and the Hendersons? She wasn't Harry. <laughs> She was the mom. She was Nancy. She was not. Was she? Yeah, Nancy. Nancy Henderson. What? I just rewatched that like a few. Oh, I'm I'm ashamed of myself. I just pulled that out of my head. I did not read it off the screen. (laughs) Off the screen. Uh, 
Jonathan Banks, if anybody watches Parks and Rec, he's Ben's father in Parks and Rec, kind of the the heavy jowls kind of guy. I feel like I think he's probably in every cop show ever. Yeah, I think I think the, his big notorious thing right now is probably his involvement in both the Breaking Bad yeah. and in uh, Better Call Saul. I think mm-hmm, that that's mm-hmm. that's elevated him in the more recent years. We also had uh, ooh, is it John Delancey? I yeah. believe is how you pronounce that. Uh, any Trekkies out there, you're going to instantly recognize them. It's Q. Yep. It's Q from Star Trek. There's a few other names in here. I don't know if you guys wanted to, to kind of go uh, over. One more I wanted to touch on is uh, BJ Novak. God, I freaking hated that guy in this movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's, yep. He was kind of, a, kind of a weasel in this movie. He was easy to hate. Oh, man. I haven't hated a character in a movie this strongly in <laughs> some time. I can't wait to bash And we him. watched Citizen X. Like, we literally watched a movie about a dude, like... Killing and like, children. You know, yeah, yeah, killing children. This is worse. And Mark's like, I hate BJ Novak in this movie much more. <laughs> you get that on a t shirt. I hate BJ Novak. <laughs> you should send that to us. And then we'll just like scrub off the the Novak and then you'll walk around and you'll feel silly. Yeah. Well, you know. It'd be great. <laughs> Certainly embarrassed. But BJ Novak, you know, everybody knows him from The Office. Um, he plays Ryan and he also like basically made the American version of The Office. He's also an author. He made a bunch of kids' books and yeah. He seems like a really kind of a renaissance man. Yeah, seems a like a cool bit. dude. I don't know. Kind of seemed like a shithead in this movie. To me. <laughs> yeah. Come on, let's stay on the negativity. Yeah, right. right. Let's build on that. Pile on. Yeah. So, um, wait, was sorry, that Adam Sandler in this movie? I believe so. No, it was Andy Sam- Sam- Sandler. I I thought it was Bob Dylan. Close. I mean, well, sorry. Uh, I had to before we get into spoilers. I had to just like toss that out that it, Adam Sandler's in this movie is. Absolutely, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Yeah, just just buzzing around on a scooter. Okay, so would we recommend this movie? Is the uh, real question. Hundred and ten percent. I would recommend this movie to anyone that likes serious roles, anyone that likes dramatic movies. Uh, if you need a good cry, or you really just n- need to yell at B.J. Novak, this is a a one hundred percent pick for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Mark is at a loss for words for <laughs> yeah. how much he hates B.J. Novak. Well, actually, no, I, I've moved on. I've let it go. I've let it go. No, but, uh, again, without getting into spoilers here, um, there have not been very many movies that I have seen in my lifetime that have, like, provoked, like, an emotional reaction. And, no, I'm not alluding to my B.J. Novak hatred right now. <laughs> uh, there were multiple scenes in this movie where I was taken aback. Yeah. You know, like, it, this is heavy, and it... I absolutely recommend it. Yeah, if you don't feel things during this movie, you are made of stone. It's true. It's like, if you don't well up, if you don't have an emotional reaction to this movie, I don't know who you are, and I don't want to meet you. You can send us mail, though. Send us mail. Tell us. Yeah, send us us anything. (laughs) Anything. we got to get back on this. This is the person that's going to be breathing outside my house for hours. I like it. Bring it on. (laughs) Burp in that envelope. Send it to it. Wait, is that him right there? Shh, no, shh, don't scare him off. No, that's don't just that's just. I thought point. you were doing the like. We need everyone. <laughs> you were doing the Jason Voorhees like. Quiet. It's like, that's oh, this is saying. not good. Gonna yeah. get murdered. So, <gasps> so Colin, you're saying you perhaps recommend this? I would super recommend this. I would definitely give this movie a, like certain caveats. Uh, if I were just, just recommend it to somebody on the street, I would basically say like, listen, make sure you're in like a steady emotional state because it's heavy. And make sure, like, the person likes dramas. If they're the kind of person who only, you know, is into lighthearted and plucky stuff, 
maybe not the film for them, but just about anybody else I would recommend this movie to. It is a wonderfully done yeah. piece of cinema. And I think this movie is best absorbed all at once, too. You know, if, if you don't think that you're going to get through a movie in one sitting, don't start this one. If if it's on TV, honestly, I don't think I would recommend watching this on TV because if, it could, if mm. it's caught up with commercials, you know, I think this movie is best absorbed in one sitting um, to, to really get the most out of it. I completely agree with the both of those points. The flow is very important to yeah. this. So, oh. are, are we ready to spoil this? There's a lot of lot of bass today. Yeah, we we whipped. Okay, spoilers. Uh, uh, I think with this movie, uh, I know traditionally we go beat for beat, and I think it's going to be harder with this one specifically because there isn't a lot of like travel to this movie in like the way like um like an adventure movie is. I mean, clearly, but uh, it starts off. Man, how, how does it start off? Well, it starts off with Don Cheadle in his office, and he ends up getting this patient who is, um, shall we say... Crazy? Crazy. <laughs> very, uh... Crazy very, for you? Very forward. Uh, yeah, he gets this patient who's who's expressing a aggressive sexual interest in him. She just happens to be, like, one of the most gorgeous people on the planet. But he's happily married, and his resolve holds... And he basically says... Get the F out of my office. Pretty much! Yeah. yeah. And so, it, like, it, it almost opens... It, it's a little funny, kind of, mm-hmm. opening up. Uh, and then he is on his way home. I'm not sure from that particular event, but he's in his car in a scene or two later, and he ends up seeing somebody who he knew from college, his old college roommate, walking down the street with a couple cans of paint, had headphones on. He shouts to him, can't get his attention, and... Uh, ends up sort of missing him. After a beat, he ends up bumping into him again, and it turns out it is his old college roommate, played by Adam Sandler, and... He doesn't remember him. It's really awkward. Yeah, he has no idea who this guy is. He kind of keeps repeating himself and, you know, is is very clearly uh, dissociated from from the event and, and tries very hard to avoid remembering. Yeah, and that's sort of like, there's like it's a little ambiguous in the beginning of the film, or the first half of the film, is like, does he genuinely not remember, or is he like intentionally trying to forget? Is he like, is this like a, a defense mechanism so he doesn't have to think about certain things? Um, it's a little ambiguous in the beginning, and then as the as the film unfolds, it, it becomes a little bit more apparent that it's the latter. Um, he's, he's suppressing these things. Mm-hmm. But... It's a really awkward exchange between Don Cheadle and Adam Sandler for the first time because, as Don Cheadle has ex- expressed, like they lived together for two years, and this guy is staring him in the face saying, "I don't know who you are." Yeah, Don Cheadle was very excited. What's his character's name? Alan Crap. Johnson. Alan Johnson. We called him Johnson. Uh, anyway, he is super excited to see his friend. I mean, with that that first time when you were talking about when he when he saw him just kind of walking by, he got out of his vehicle when he was struck in traffic and like actually left his car a good 20, 30 feet. Yeah, he was that, in New York. Yeah, he was very interested in in talking to and meeting up with uh, this guy. So when he does finally do that, and Adam Sandler's character doesn't recognize him uh, or says that he doesn't recognize him. You know, you can see there's there's pain in, in, in Cheadle's face. Yeah, and it's interesting that you, you say that, like, chasing him down, he really wants to reconnect with him. Uh, and it becomes apparent later in the film that, like, Don Cheadle, even though Adam Sandler is suffering as terribly as he is, Don Cheadle is 
also suffering a little bit kind of mildly from loneliness from like lack of male camaraderie and he really wants to reconnect with his old buddy and yeah it's heartbreaking to watch him try to interact with this guy who is basically saying i don't know who you are i don't remember anything about our former life together blah 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 yeah well because at this point don Cheadle, he's you know he's a he's a married man he's got two teenage children you know, he's a, he's a dentist. He's got this big, you know, apartment. He's got everything that you would traditionally, you know, quote unquote, want, except for his own life. Yeah, it, it, it's very clear just from observing the relationship with his family from the early beginning in the movie that he's going through the motions. He is clearly, you know, clock in, do the job. Uh, put veneers on a hot mental patient and then come home and, you know, his daughters go to gym practice or, you know, his daughters go go to a concert and they ask for money and he just pretty much just says, yeah, okay, um, yep, sure, just, it's like a Tuesday for him. And you can see that there's a little bit of damage there because he's clearly been doing this pattern for quite a while. And then he runs into his friend and it kind of throws off the equilibrium. Which he likes. Yes. I think we could sort of sum up the the middle of the film by saying Adam Sandler is very unstable. He is trying very hard, maybe not intentionally, but trying very hard to suppress these memories of his wife and his three daughters who died in the September 11th attacks. They were on one of the planes. And Don Cheadle is basically like repeatedly trying to connect with him and help him get onto a path that can, you know, lead to a better mental state, and he's trying to provide him some support. Meanwhile, in return, he's actually kind of getting that male camaraderie. He's getting some therapy of his own. Yeah, a little bit. From working with Charlie. Just somebody to talk to, yeah. if nothing else. Yeah, and he, there's definitely, like, a resistance that he has to the idea that he has a problem. I mean, like he, he feels he has a problem. He knows that he does, but he won't admit it. Um, to the point where he, you know, ritualistically every day will wait outside of his office building so that one of, uh, I, guess, I guess he's got a friend more or less, but within the same office that he runs his practice, there's a, a psychiatrist uh, played by Liv Tyler. And every time they come out, you know, I, I got this friend, you know, and I got this problem. And like, it's turned into this bit between them where she says, you know, well, at some point I'm going to bill you, you know, I, I think this this is inappropriate. You, he He's clearly reaching out to her, but isn't willing to jump with both feet. Um, there's a bit he's actually asking about uh, Adam Sandler during one of these, you know, ritualistic you know, meetups, meetups. And he said, well, this time it, it really is a friend, you know, like <laughs> this, 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 re- this really is. And he's like, Oh yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he's definitely damaged in that, in that regard. And there's a point, I think probably midway through where he's sort of called out for using Adam Sandler's situation as therapy for himself. He accuses his wife of being jealous of the time that he's spending with Adam Sandler's character. Cause she, she doesn't see him very often. And he, he just feigns this, you know, uh, he's, he's offended when she makes the accusation that, um, that she's not jealous of Adam Sandler, that he is, in fact, jealous of, uh, of Sandler's autonomy and his freedom. There's definitely this cathartic nature to the time that he spends with him. And I think initially, or well, maybe, you know, if we were to, at first he's, he's happy to see his friend, and then I think that there is that, that element of him trying to, to get some of that out, some of that repressed energy 
through this Sandler or, or Cheadle? Cheadle. Yeah. You know, he, his journey was, was, I think, really interesting to me. And then about, I think, maybe the halfway point or so, I think it just solidifies back into like a friendship and it's not quite as um, turbulent. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that he's using Sandler as much, but I, I definitely got hints of that in the beginning. Yeah. 100%. So I guess kind of before we like go further into the film itself, I feel like I've just got to say this. These two things I always say to people when I'm describing this, this movie and they don't care about spoilers, but first of all, this movie is incredibly uncomfortable. Like wildly uncomfortable in a lot of ways in a lot of ways and like the one way that i'm particularly sensitive to is it's like michael scott in the office but instead of the awkwardness being sort of like turned into humor and them stopping right before it gets like really really uncomfortable this movie takes it all the way and it's just straight uncomfortable, like yelling in a restaurant at the top of your lungs at somebody who's genuinely done nothing, and the entire restaurant is staring at you. Meanwhile, you're like throwing a plate of food on the ground and like threatening things and shouting loudly and, and crying, and everybody's just like, I, I don't I don't want to be any a part of this at all. Like, And, yeah. and then it even goes a, a slight step further than that, because normally... In a, in a TV show or a movie with a situation like that, you know, it, it resolves. Whoever was yelling or screaming calms down and sits back down. But in, in these cases, that does not happen. The, he continues to yell and eventually either throws things, breaks things, or goes outside and waits. It's like, it's, he, like it's, Colin said, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. It's palpable. And it's never resolved. I mean, the usually like the next scene that they're in, he's acting as though it never happened. Yeah. You know, so they, they never really sit down and like hash out these outbursts. It's just kind of like understood that like he isn't in complete control of his, of his actions at that point. Yeah. And then it happens again. Mm-hmm. There are several scenes where he like shows up after a very embarrassing, tense, awkward, uncomfortable, whatever situation that they left you know hours ago yeah and he shows back up acts as if nothing happens and there's like a sort of awkward forgiveness period and then they slip back into friendship and then it happens again and you're like i don't i don't know how much more of this i can take like it's it's fucking exhausting (laughs) like i i I, that was like all three of us at the end of that film i think let out a sigh because i'm just I'm all out of serotonin. Fresh yep. out, friend. Like, yeah. <laughs> I am blown out. Yeah, and, and the way that they, you know, go between the laughs and the tears in this movie, it's it's amazing. You know, you, you go from, from laughing and, like, just having a great time, because they, they've got fantastic chemistry, um, those two actors in this movie, to those outbursts. And it, your your joy just, you know, wilts in your hand as you're dealing with what's what's in front of you, and it just makes it more more real. Yeah, and raw. Yeah. What that reminds me of is uh, Scrubs. I think the ratio is different, but Scrubs is a great show that can really take you from like laughing your ass off to next to tears in like a 15, 20 minute span. Uh, that's super difficult to do without making it clash and feel like rushed or you know like you're jamming things together. The ratio is different in this movie. It's it's definitely more 50-50, maybe 60-40 in favor of like the drama and heaviness. But, you know, whereas in Scrubs, it's probably like 90-10. But, yeah, no, it's it's just a massively uncomfortable movie. Right, but and, in a good way. And the funny thing is you can you can almost always tell when the outburst is about to happen. But you're never really sure what's going to happen. Whether he's just going to yell, whether he's going to say something inflammatory, or whether he's going to break shit. 
And every single time it happens, Adam Sandler's character gets asked some innocuous question and responds almost verbatim with, why are you asking me that? Mm -hmm. Very calmly, very collected, just, why are you asking me that? And every single time, you're like, oh shit, what's going to happen? Yeah. What's, What's coming? And sometimes it's nothing. And sometimes he destroys a dentist office. Which is like such a brilliant way to make the audience feel exactly how that, like the characters of Don Cheadle or basically any bystander to Adam Sandler would have felt in that situation. Like, you genuinely don't know what's going to happen. This could escalate to something really nasty. Like, there were several instances where people were getting physical. But it could have just been like, he shouts something and then we're back, we're friends again. Yep. Like, it's, it's... God, it's like it's like being friends with fire. It's like like it just dances around and you can't predict where it's gonna go. Yep. Okay, so the other thing that I wanted to say about this movie, and I feel like this really gets to the core of this movie and how like I don't want to call this movie Doom because I don't believe it's Doom. And I use that I I, I feel like that might be just like a, a word that friends of mine and I have co opted and put into our personal lexicons, but but I think you you're probably picking up what I'm putting down when I say that. Uh It's not as gloom and doom as you might suspect from the way we're talking about it. However, nobody wins in this movie and nobody is at fault for anything. Like nobody is guilty of anything and very little ground is gained. And it's it makes it incredibly difficult to watch. It's just like there's no bad guy. Mm. Every every bad thing that happens and there's a lot comes back to a person who was put in a an incredibly terrible situation. Even, like, the hot chick who wanted to, like, pleasure him in the beginning of the film and was a recurring character throughout the movie, it gets revealed at some point that she was absolutely... Her world was shattered when her now ex-husband, it was revealed, had an entirely other life with a different woman. Mm-hmm. Like... For five years. For five years. Like, how crushing would that be? And what would that do to you mentally? And you can't tell me that you know for a fact that you wouldn't respond the exact way that she responded. Like, that's just it. It's like every character is built that way. They they really build in the complexities. Mm-hmm. And then you see all of this terrible shit happen. And, like, your instinct is to be like, especially because you're watching a movie. But even in real life, your instinct is to point the finger and be like, that's the bad person. That's the person that caused it all. But the world doesn't work like that. And this movie is such a brilliant example of, like, holding up a mirror and saying, listen, everybody's going through their own shit. Some of it's really fucked up. Some of it's not so fucked up. Some of it's just like, you know, Don Cheeto, like, he's, he's a little lonely. Yeah. yeah he's, he, you know, but, like, everybody's going through some shit, and, like, there's no bad person. There's just people sometimes doing bad things who were put in bad situations, you know? Yeah. Or even, dealt, uh, dealt a shitty hand. Even at, like, the Weasley lawyer, who at, like, the halfway point, you're thinking, oh, well, he's, like, trying to take advantage of Adam Sandler's character, you know? But it, it you you learn that he was very close with, uh, with with Sandler when he when his wife and kids were still alive and Adam pushed uh, this lawyer completely out of his life and like doesn't even acknowledge they had a friendship mm-hmm. um, so he's become kind of bitter about it because you know he lost a friend and now he's n- not a caretaker but he's in, an in executor a yeah yeah basically so and, he- and you're right he's, he described himself as his best friend mm-hmm. and the reason Sandler basically cut him out of his life is because he, he cut out anybody who knew him when he had the wife and kids because he knows that they're going to ask him about that stuff. They won't be able to help themselves. So the only reason he lets Don Cheadle in even a little bit is because 
they sort of parted ways organically before before he, he got had his a family. Yeah, before he got his practice, before he got his wife, before he got his kids, his mm-hmm. dog. Even their dog died in the fucking... Good God. Yeah, in, in one moment, he lost his wife, his three daughters, and the family dog. Yeah, that's... In a flash, and he, he had to find out about it on the TV screen. Mm-hmm. And I just can't think of anything more heartbreaking than your entire world crashing down literally in front of your eyes. It, it's it's toxic. Yeah. I can't, I can't think of what that would do to a person. Well, and like, you know... It, I think they do such a great job at really going into what you're going to think about, what you're going to feel when something like that happens. And three of the things that come to my mind that were sort of big elements in the film were, one, during sort of like an exposition where he's he's kind of, he's talking about the event once they sort of get him to kind of crack open a little bit. He's talking about how his three daughters really wanted to go to uh, Disneyland because they were going to California and he was meeting them out there, which is why he wasn't on the plane. And, you know, he was describing how he and his wife had already pulled them out of school for like three days and, you know, they didn't have time to go to Disneyland. So they told the girls no. And like, he didn't say this explicitly, but, in, you know, you could see it in his face. He was just like, why couldn't we have just said yes to them? Why couldn't they have gone out knowing that they were going to Disneyland? Like, oh God. The other one was, you know, his wife was bugging him about the kitchen and he snapped at his wife uh, and it was the last thing that he ever said to her was like kind of, you know, he didn't say what he said, but he said it kind of snapped at her. And, and he the- said that he hated the kitchen talk. And and it's worth mentioning that throughout the entire film, his kitchen has not looked the same once. You know, we, we get to see his apartment a few times and the kitchen is in a constant state of flux. There's always new cabinets, always new paint, always new floors, always new countertops. And we don't really get an answer to that. Until the end. Until the end. When he really, he describes like he's constantly remodeling the kitchen because that was what the wife and the girls wanted to do. And I I love that. I mean, you know, every time I I would want to watch this movie again, just to, to look at his apartment, all of his like collections and all of his quirks that, that you see in the, like the first half of this movie are almost all tied back in some way to something that took place near the time where his family died. Everything is tied into that for him. It's, yeah, it's and so I feel powerful. like the um I feel like his his quirks are like driven largely by the family and his like collections I feel like are driven largely by a desire or a drive to get to a time before they were around. Like the music and the video games and the and the the instruments, I feel like he was He's trying to drag himself backward as much as possible to before they were in his life. Like it never happened. Huh? Like it never happened. Like it never happened, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's like whole sections of his, his apartment that are cordoned off. We should probably mention that it, it gets sort of mentioned in passing that between like the insurance payout and various other things. And government settlements, checks and yeah, social. And- he had quite a bit of money, which basically allowed him to kind of insulate himself from, I think... Everything, really. Well, everything, but also, like, kind of the ravages that this type of mental issue would cause somebody who didn't have those resources. Like, I feel like he could... He would have very easily ended up probably on the street or in a very bad situation, and I feel like he could protect himself against that 
only because he had these monetary resources. And another thing I really wanted to bring up was, again, back to this notion of like, nobody's the bad guy in this movie. All you see around Adam Sandler are is this like constellation of people who are all looking to help him, but looking to help him in very different ways. And they're all coming at it from a different angle. So you've got his landlord. She keeps people at bay. Yeah, she's kind of, she's kind of, somebody would say, some would say she's enabling him, but she was, she would say she's protecting him. She was a gatekeeper to his sanity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, His in-laws, his former in-laws, I guess still his in-laws, and they're almost cast as the bad people in this movie until the end when it really gets revealed that like they had no, because you're you're sort of like, do they want his money? Do they want blah, blah, blah? Why they keep trying to get into his life? They're clearly setting him off. And it's honestly not that like, they just, they miss their son-in-law. They love him. They are, they care for him. And he is, it, he's in trouble. He's, he's distraught and he's in distress. Yeah. Like, and they're not doing what is best for him, but they're, they care about him. They're not, they're not malicious. You've got his well, former best friend. Hang on though, yeah, real yeah. quick. The, the, the in-laws, I mean, the, the tactic that they choose, you know, the, the landlord is the gatekeeper. Their tactic is like confrontation, Yeah. you know, and they want him to just look at what happened and acknowledge what happened. Um, in like a very kind of almost aggressive in, in an aggressive, you know, very like, I don't know, like rational way, I suppose. I mean, if, if you're not mm-hmm. dealing with these types of traumatic things, you know, sure, it makes rational sense to 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 just look at it and, and accept it. But and that, that seems to be there. Like they're they're showing up all the time. They're, you know, in his face. They're very in his face. Um, and you're right. They are sort of painted as as an antagonist for, you know, 15 minutes. Um, but they just they're going through the same the same thing that he is in just a very different way. Dude, and that like that also got me like so I mean obviously the worst scene in the movie from like an emotional standpoint is when he's like recounting the day that they died and sort of like, you know, his relationships with them and and what they look like is it's terrible to watch. It's it's just gut-wrenching. This yeah. is in the, in the office uh, in the waiting room. Yeah. Outside of the therapist. Outside of the yeah. therapist's office. Yeah, yeah. But the other scene that really really got me like bad was I mean there's a lot of them but at the end he's in court and his in-laws are there and oh, BJ he, Novak. Yeah. oh man he walks up to his in-laws and he kind of confronts them he like almost doesn't like three or four times then he finally he doubles back get, three or four times yeah. without saying a word and then just stops and c- turns around and does it again yeah so he ends up confronting them and he kind of says like first of all you don't think I see them I see my wife and kids every day when I'm walking down the street I just see them and it's torture for me, basically. But also, you have each other. You two had each other to lean on. I don't even have the damn dog. Like the dog died with everybody. My entire world evaporated in a moment. And he's like, basically, this is like his first time in however many years it was. You know what? This came out in 2007. So I guess if it was supposed to be contemporary with... It would have been you know, seven years. Six, seven years. And he basically says, like, in the first time in six years, like I got nobody and that's why I'm responding this way. And you two had each other. And this is why it didn't work us communicating. And then he like kisses his mother-in-law on the cheek and she just, and left and she just sobs. And you're just like, Oh my God. Like, I mean, just, you know, mm-hmm. it really illustrated the point that like, they care about him. They, they do have his best interests at heart. They're just, they're just doing a really poor job. Well, I think I think they're in their defense. They're they're doing what they believe is right, and they're using the tools that they personally have. And you know, those tools just aren't 
what he needs. Right, exactly. I mean, he's, you know, they're doing, they're trying to help, but they're not helping. Like, they're, they're making it worse. Yeah, and unfortunately, they don't see that they're not helping. They just continue to do the same tactic, and I think that... Uh, and they get frustrated, and... Yeah. Yeah, which just exacerbates the issue. Right, exactly. And it's so, worth and it's worth noting, like like we said before, his entire world crashed down. He has no family. These these two people are the only family he has, and you know they lost their family too. They lost their daughter and grandkids. Uh, so he is so broken and so resistant to change and and to help. He can't reach out to them. It's his his mind is not going to let him reach out because he has to relive what he's gone through, and to even recognize their existence. Yeah, to even acknowledge that they are who they say they are and who they are, he has to acknowledge that he lost his family. Yeah, and that's that's a good point. That's a good point because like no other character that cares about him, no other character in this in this film, is like them in the sense that his whole connection to them is predicated on having a wife and kids mm-hmm. and he cannot even interact with them in such a capacity that would recognize who they really are to him without acknowledging that he had a wife and kids, which is exactly what he does not want to do. Right. That's really, that's a, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was a bit in there that I, I wanted to talk about. I don't know if this is maybe halfway through. I, I don't know. All the characters are, are relatively established at this point, but Don Cheadle's character, he gets sucked into doing a like a three movie marathon with with Adam. Mel Brooks marathon, no uh, less. Mel yeah. Brooks, yeah. Oh yeah. So he's like stumbling out of a like a theater, not drunk, just you know, it's like five o'clock in the morning at this point, and his phone rings and it's his wife, and his wife tells him that his father had just passed and that she's been trying to get a hold of him all night. Once he gets off the phone with her, you know, it's kind of sinking into him. And, uh, and Adam Sandler's character, you know, kind of say, you know, what, what's going on? And he tells him, you know, my, my dad died. And after, a, you know, a couple of moments, Adam says, uh, you know, you want to hang? And I, that was just so powerful to me, you know, because for the way that I interpreted it, it was Adam Sandler offering up the only help that he could provide. He wasn't in a place where he could console someone with the death of a family. It was too close to him. You know, he wasn't stable enough to like offer any kind of words of wisdom but he did have his medicine and his medicine was distraction you know he he collected music he constantly played video games like his you know i i think that part of what he was doing was trying to go back to those college years but it was also very much let me put as much as i can in front of me so that i can make sure that i'm never in a quiet room and so it was almost like he was offering to, to John Cheadle's character this life raft that had worked for him. You want to hang? You know, you want you want to get distracted with me? You want some of my medicine? You want to eat Chinese food and play Shadow of the Colossus? Yeah. So that's so funny that you interpret it that way because I, I interpret it much more shallowly like as just, like I'm basically going to pretend that I didn't just hear you say that your dad died mm-hmm. because I, you know, I can't deal with it. And I, I, didn't, I didn't interpret it as much as like a, uh, what do I say, like an empathic or like a intentional move it was i always i saw it as sort of like a i I don't even recognize what you're saying right now well and it could have been and adam sandler's character charlie very clearly had a quick trigger moment of ptsd when uh when don Cheadle's character had mentioned you know he says my dad just died and he looks at him and says died like dead and the look on his face he looks down really quickly and then immediately says you want to hang 
and it's just this moment of no i i don't want to did you hear what i said my dad just died he says yeah but i want to go get chinese food and it's this moment of i think he acknowledged what don Cheadle was saying and got triggered really quickly by the word yeah then immediately was like okay how can we help this how can we fix this uh chinese food well, and I feel like that might be what you just said, because you, you gave the the actual quote, and I think that may be why I interpreted it the way I did, is, like, he said something to the effect of, like, you know, I want Chinese food. Yeah. Or, like, I want blah, 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 or, mm-hmm. I, you know, I want to do this. I, I still want to hang or something like that. And it's just, like, it felt like a very selfish act. And I really like your interpretation of it, it was actually sort of like a, a noble and empathic act, but that I'm not entirely convinced that that actually was the, the motivation behind but the But Mark the has a good point, because right after that, he's you know he says, we just had a, a lot of mel. We don't want to waste all this mel. Because Charlie's in a good mood. He had a good time. They laughed uproariously until they cried and probably other things. And... Then Charlie just is like, "Come on, we're having a good night. Let's keep the good night going. Like, like, uh, d- d- happy things, happy thoughts, you know." And I, I think Mark's right in that he was trying to say, "Okay, well, we just had a good time. Let's keep having a good time. Let's just not focus on dead. Like, l- let's try to think of anything except that." I, I think this movie is deep enough that it, uh, that we can both be right. You know, yeah. I mm-hmm. think that there mm-hmm. are enough layers to support both angles, and I. This movie is, is three-dimensional enough that you could even say that, that he had multiple motivations for what he was doing. That maybe that it, that it was selfish because he was also triggered and he wanted to stuff as much as he could in front of himself, not, not to acknowledge the word dead. But I think he also, there, there's enough um, layers to support the idea that he also saw a friend who was hurt and he found a way to make utility of uh, of his own selfish need for a distraction you know he could justify it by you know roping him in like you're in the same boat with me you know let's let's do this you know it's, it's for me but this is me offering you some of my selfish medicine i, I don't know the the fact that that we can debate it i think lens and well i think that's the, the beauty of like how well this film was written is like we're sitting here trying to tease apart what his motivation actually was in that scene and like that's a very that's like a fundamentally human thing to do is when you see somebody do something and you may have like an initial response to what their motivation may have been but that may not be what they're motivated by and you can you can him and you can haw and you can think and all this stuff but like ultimately you're not going to know what led to that person acting the way that they did we tried we try to figure it out in real life but it doesn't always work uh, you know, it's it's kind of like that old uh, adage, we judge others by their actions, we judge ourselves by our intentions. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we've got going on here is like, we're trying to figure out what his motivation was so we can judge him appropriately, but ultimately, we're never going to know just like we're not going to know in real life. And that's like a brilliant piece of writing right there where it's it's begging you to understand why he's acting the way he's acting. But you're not going to be able to place a finger on it, and there was no follow-up that really, like... You never know. You, it never gets explained away. Like, he does, he does later say, like, I'm sorry, my behavior was inappropriate, blah, 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 like, I know you were upset... But he never explains why he said it, and it was really good. Like, you know, I yeah. mean, talk about a talk about a powerful scene. Yeah, Adam Sandler does such a good job with this character that, like, I feel like we are discussing a real person. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in a way that I, 
I don't have that same feeling about most other movies I see. Like, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a script, and it's an actor reading off of that script. But man, the way that, that he crafted his performance around that script, and like, it's... It is definitely like a perfect storm, I think. Like, you can't have one element in isolation. It has got to be the the actor has to be on point, and the script has to be well-written, and the director has to know exactly how to shoot it, and, you know, the lighting expert needs to know, like... I mean, just everybody needs to be on their A-game to bring you to a scene where you're, you're sitting there debating the intent of a character. Like, talk about oh, yeah. uh, power. But I really want to get back to this, this constellation that surrounds Adam Sandler. Yes. Like, we've got... His landlady, we've got his in-laws, we've got the be- the former best friend who is his now accountant, but basically just manages his... Assets. His assets, yeah. Uh, of which there are plenty. <laughs> uh, but the guy, he, still ca- he still cares about the guy. He still yeah. wants the best for him. He's a little detached and he's, he's taken a step back, but ultimately he cares about him. You've got Don Cheadle who is sort of new to all of this, and that's the protagonist through whose eyes we experience all of these other characters. He is the everyman that they use to introduce all of these other people. Um, who else do we have? Uh, oh, we've got Liv Tyler's character, yeah. who again is new and gets introduced to Adam Sandler through Don Cheadle. She is the... I'm not sure if she's a psychologist or psychiatrist. I believe she's a psychologist who... Cheadle is sort of like... <laughs> Uh, what do like you said, accosting, accosting a little bit on the street, uh, trying yeah. to get a f- like like free five minute mental health sound bites. Yeah. Uh, um, He's waiting outside the office for the spark notes of her mind. Yeah. Like that's that's literally what's happening. He says, "Oh yeah, I have this friend. Oh yeah, okay, sure." <laughs> so he ultimately like brings Adam Sandler to her office, and and she kind of helps to get through to him. And she obviously, you know, I mean, she's a mental health professional, like she's paid to care, but she does care uh, a great deal. And she is trying to help. And, and it's, it's interesting too, but she, she helps him by not pushing him at all. It's not, it's not quite a montage, but there are several sessions that you see like the tail end of, or maybe, maybe you don't actually see the tail end of it. Maybe that's the entirety of the session, but she asks him a couple questions. He is very evasive. Uh, he says, are we done yet? And she says, well, we, we can be done if you want to be. So you kind of get the impression that these are five-minute sessions or ten-minute sessions. And she doesn't really ever push back until one final scene where she she's not even pushing back. She just says, hey, you know, I, I don't want this to get you angry, but we're... And she doesn't word it this way, but basically we're, we're wasting each other's time. You do need help. You do need to talk to, talk to somebody. It doesn't, doesn't need to be me, but you have a story to tell. And I think because she was so patient with him for X number of sessions beforehand, he, he's able to actually hear it. There's nothing for him to be angry about. And that leads into him basically leaving her office and going straight into the waiting room. And you, you already talked about this scene a little bit. It's, it's very powerful. But that's when he unpacks it for Don Cheadle's character and just kind of walks him through that day that he's been pushing back so long. And I think that's the turning point. Which is sort him. of interesting because like he, he's leaving a therapy session early and he ends up sitting down in the in the lobby and talking to Don Cheadle and opening up to Don Cheadle. Meanwhile, the therapist is, she has sort of opened the door and she's kind of listening at the door. Uh, he knows she's there, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really interesting, interesting scene. So suffice to say, by the end of the film, Adam Sandler's character starts to open up a little bit. This causes him sort of even more distress. He has 
sort of religiously avoided alcohol because he knows like what a dark place it'll take him to. So he ends up sort of breaking that rule, drinks some alcohol, has a gun in the apartment with no bullets. And so he can't commit suicide. So he ends up trying to commit suicide by cop. And that doesn't go over very well um, because the cops don't kill him. And he ends up getting arrested instead of pressing charges uh, because it doesn't look so great on the city that the cops would beat up and arrest a a 9-11 widower. He gets sort of pushed into the mental health system and there is a, a sort of brief legal battle at the end of the film where he is basically at risk of being put in a, a facility against his will for up to a year, mm-hmm. um, which he and a lot of his sort of like close people, confidants, are not particularly excited about. However, his in-laws are in favor of it. Uh, again, they've become a little bit jaded towards him and, and don't really understand uh, why he's why his behavior is manifesting in the way that it is. Well, I think that they view him being committed as you know, th- oh, this is how we're going to force him to, to look at it. You know, they, yeah. they really take this like this angle that the, he needs to be forced to confront it. They take the Dorian Gray perspective of like, I will just hold this fucking picture up to your face. Speaking of which, BJ Novak oh. in this movie. Can... <laughs> really? You want oh Dorian Gray to BJ Novak? Yes, oh. I have to talk about this. All right. So they, they have to know why we hate him so yes. much. Or so, I hate him. Oh, God, Mark hates him so much. You should have heard him before we started this recording. B.J. Novak's character is the prosecuting attorney that is trying to get Adam Sandler's character committed. And the way he's doing it is such a dirty, nasty trick. Uh, He takes copies of the photos of Adam Sandler's family, his wife and children, and describes them in detail. And it has... The, the father-in-law described what was happening when these photos were taken and describes the children and describes his daughter in front of Adam Sandler's face. Knowing he, it's going to trigger him. Knowing it's going to trigger him. And he's clearly having an episode, at which point the landlady offers him his headphones, which are like his security blanket, and he starts you know singing along to, the, to these songs that he's listening to, his, his own version of therapy. At which point... The attorney says, I have no further questions, and then slaps the photos on the desk right in front of his face. That is just dirty. It is uh, dirty. You're, you're, you're trying to get a man committed aggressively and in a very underhanded way, and then knowing that you're going to trigger him into an episode, it's like dropping a grenade in somebody's lap. It's just not going to end well for anyone. No, so, that, that was a that was a really it was a shitty thing to do, and it really but, drives the point home of how broken this man is from losing his family. He can't think about them, he can't talk about them, he can't look at them because he sees them every day. And to see a photo of his family before all of this chaos is just the worst pain that he can feel. And I got I you know the one thing so as as terrible as sort of his character was or at least the actions of his character i feel like the lack of character development for him sort of leaves the door open to the notion that like he genuinely maybe believed that adam sandler did need to be committed and he again you know maybe he was one of those people who like the ends justify the means like i just need to get him in there and if i can just set him off a little bit the judge will see that yes obviously he needs to be in a facility and you know not to that's not an excuse for like 
intentionally like triggering somebody into a, a horrible emotional state. Um, but I it, think in his mind it was. I, I kind of got the impression that I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah, yeah, no, um, no. But I got the impression that that he, you know, he was a lawyer, but he was like fresh you know, out of school. And so he, he saw this as the, he, he felt like the, the tactic was, was like clever of him. Like you really kind of got the impression that he did not care at all about his actions and that he was actually sort of proud of them. He was even trying to justify them uh, after the fact when he was in uh, the judge's chambers. Um, like he had this kind of smug kind of attitude to him. Like, you know, he was trying to get his first big win or, or maybe not that, but you know, this was all a game to him. Um, I definitely see your point. I kind of wonder how much of that was like a character choice by BJ Novak and how much of it was like intended by the writers, but needless to say, a loathsome character, however, potentially defensible from the standpoint of like, like he has a perspective. Yeah. Yeah. A standpoint of like, you know, do the wrong thing for the right reasons. But I actually would like to add one more person to the list, the constellation of people who are looking out for Adam Sandler's character. And that's the judge. Dude, Donald Sutherland plays the judge, and he's not in this movie very long, but, like, every word lands like a fucking hammer blow. Like, he is so pensive and thoughtful and, and, and careful with what he says. And he is the one who ultimately says, this is a family matter. This is not a, a legal matter. The in-laws are, in fact, the closest thing that he has to family, so I'm going to give them the choice of whether or not they feel he should be committed. Mm-hmm. And I really like that they, at the end of the movie, they left it open-ended. There was no decision that was ultimately made. You sort of got the impression that they had changed their minds and they were not going to commit him. Don Cheadle speaks with them briefly and kind of makes the point along with the landlady and they seem to listen to that. And the emotional response to Adam Sandler confronting them outside of the courthouse or in, in, in just inside the courthouse also sort of suggests that. But yeah, I know it's... Yeah, I, and I, I love the way that they ended this, where there there wasn't any, like, real resolution. Um, you know, you, you, f- you went through a journey with all the characters. All the characters were pretty much thoroughly fleshed out. But just like life, you know, life doesn't have a beginning, middle, and end. You know, we all individually do. But, you know, you really felt like this was a, a world that you stepped into, that you got to experience life through their eyes. Everyone was very three-dimensional. And then by the end of the movie, you left that real world. And, like, it almost left you with this feeling that the world in this movie is still going on. You know? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. You, you exited it, and there were still lingering questions, but none that, that left you feeling unsatisfied. Just that, you know, what's going to happen with this character? What's going to happen with that one? They didn't tie anything up, but life doesn't tie things up. Yeah, it's like looking through a train window. It's like the things that you're passing, you know they're still going on. Mm-hmm. long after the train has moved away from the place, you know? Yeah, it adds some real realism to this. Now, before we button this up, I do have one thing to add. Um, building off of Colin's constellation of support, there is a character that kind of flies under the radar in terms of supporting Adam Sandler's character, and that is the hot, crazy dentist-slash-mental patient. Donna Raymar is her name, played by Saffron Burroughs. And, you know, you don't see a whole lot of, I don't want to say lack of character there, because her, like like Mark said, very fleshed out. You can definitely get a feel for who this woman is and what her motivations are. Um, but 
at one point in the in the film when Adam Sandler is describing his family, he describes that they all have long brown hair. And Donna Raymar is this ultra attractive, tall, skinny woman with long brown hair. And at one point you get to see a photo of Adam Sandler's family and the similarities between these two women are striking. It's something that hit me in the face and I was like, whoa. And some of the looks on Adam Sandler's face when he sees this woman, Donna, he he's almost aghast. The first time he sees her, he's like, whoa, she's really hot. She's really hot. Like, she wants to blow you? Wow, she's really hot. And it's kind of funny, but after she leaves the office, he follows her down the hall, uh, out of sight. Like and takes child. Yeah, and takes one last look at her and just collapses against the wall. And you can see that his wheels are turning. And throughout the movie, you know, he doesn't allow her to sit next to her. He can't be in the room with her. He says that multiple times. I can't be around that that woman. You know, she can't come here. I can't see her. At the end, after the, the hearing and all is, you know, over and done with, for the most part, for all intents and purposes, she, she comes out and she wants to talk. And she doesn't know what to say, but Adam Sandler allows her to sit. Um, he's sitting there with, with Liv Tyler's character, and, and he says, yeah, she can sit with us, but she sits on your side. He, she can't sit over here. At the end of the movie, right at the very end, they're hanging out after supposedly either he you know is getting committed or he's not getting committed. We, we don't find out for sure. I think it was before that. Was it before that? Didn't they move to? Uh, he moved, he to, moved a to a new apartment. New apartment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was they the were final to... scene or a second to final scene. Yeah, do it. And they ordered. Oh no, it was to... definitely the final scene. But I don't think the decision had been made. I think it was still pre-decision. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so they they ordered pizza to have delivered up to Adam Sandler's new apartment, and she came over, and she you know hung out for a little bit, and Adam Sandler keeps kind of giving over the shoulder glances at her. I got the impression, I don't know if it if it spoke to you guys, but I got the impression that he definitely was getting more comfortable with her, and there was clearly enough space on that sofa for the three of them, uh, being Don Cheadle, Adam Sandler, and Saffron Burroughs. And he kept looking at her like he wanted to talk, but wasn't ready. And I got the impression that he was, as we discussed earlier, seeing his wife's face in this woman, mm -hmm. which is, number one, why he couldn't be around her, and number two, why he was so intrigued by this person. So I think that, in my personal opinion, she added to that constellation of support by being... Just herself. ...rather constant reminder, but also being open and, and being herself. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I, I didn't make the association with how similar she was to his wife, but you're right. They In that ver that one quick flash and then the handful of photos that you see, yeah, they are very similar in, in build and style and hair and all that. I think at the end of the movie, she represented light at the end of the tunnel. I think yeah. that the, the inference was that they were going to strike up some kind of relationship. Um, I think one of my only criticisms to this movie really is her character in that while I, I know what they were trying to do with her, her actions in the very beginning were so, like, repugnant that I had a hard time looking past that and seeing her as anything but that uh, that character that was trying to compromise 
uh, Don Cheadle's values in the opening scene. And but I feel like that's that's the beauty of it is you basically see this woman who has gone through a horribly traumatic experience and the way she's responding to it, it's like manifesting itself in like sexual advance, whereas like in Adam Sandler's character, it's manifesting as repression and anger and like these weird outbursts mm-hmm. and it's neither behavior is okay. Like making se- sexual advances on a married man and then, you know, trying to sort of push the matter after it's dismissed or destroying a dental office, like neither of these things are okay. It's just, I think, like, we get a little bit more understanding for Adam Sandler's character because we have a little bit more context. Yeah, no, and I and I completely understand, you know, her her perspective and I, and I know what they were trying to go with. And I think my, my criticism isn't necessarily with her character or her portrayal of it. But, I mean, there there's so much in this movie. I feel like maybe there wasn't enough time to... Well, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't connect with her in the same way that I did the other characters. And maybe, maybe if I had spent a few more scenes watching her struggles you know i think that we we saw her her acting out in like the first scene and then we had another scene where we understood kind of why she was doing it and you know she was apologetic for it and and yada yada for me i think i might have needed another scene or two to be more acclimated to her being more three-dimensional but i I mean I, i saw what they were trying to build there um, I'd be perfectly happy with more scenes with Saffron Burroughs. Yeah. Like just as many scenes as, as you got. Like, that's that's just fine. Fine with me. Yep. I'm I'm on the same page. I'm sold. Are you a traveling Saffron Burroughs salesman? Like the uh, old, like the dudes who used to sell like milkshake machines? Yeah, I'll probably stick with my vacuums. Or the vacuums? Yeah. Cash registers? Cutco knives. Cutco knives. Cutco knives and Saffron Burroughs. Come on down to Hot Big Al's sharp. warehouse. That's weird. <laughs> That's weird. We're weird people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you love us. <laughs> so this overview has been, I think, different than most of the other ones. I think we spent more time just talking about the various elements and not yeah. so much like the narrative. But that's what I think this movie warranted it. You know, it's more about the elements and not about you know, there's a lot of hmm, synergy in this movie. You know, oh, um, man, just the way everything you could get hired together. at any corporation speaking like that. Synergy. Yeah. Anyhow, um, are we ready to move into quotes? Quote the shit out of this thing. Oh, this was good. Surprisingly uh, quotable movie, honestly. Yeah, honestly, like it, I was not anticipating a drama like this to be as quotable as it was. Even having seen it before, I did not remember how many moments of levity there actually were. Yeah. Uh, who wants to kick us off? You take us out. All right. So mine comes from a scene kind of earlier in the film, just after Don Cheadle and Adam Sandler uh, hook up and, and start to rekindle their friendship. Adam Sandler just like shows up at Don Cheadle's house like 1030 at night, like banging on the door. And Don Cheadle answers and his wife is there. And, and Adam Sandler's like, come on, it's 1030. Like, what are you in bed? And he's like, yeah, I'm in bed. And then he's like, come on, come out. Like, come on. what? Oh, come on. You can come out. And Don Cheadle's like, no, I can't, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, come on, you can come out. And he looks at Don Cheadle's wife. He's like, you can come out, right? And then Don Cheadle kind of snaps him. He's like, don't don't ask my wife for permission for me to go out. I'm not seven years old. And Adam Sandler's like, okay, so can you go out? And Don Cheadle's like quiet. And he kind of like, he's glancing over at his wife. And it's <laughs> it's a pretty amazing scene. His wife just gives him this look like, really? You just said, you just said not to ask him and now you're asking me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other one I've got is, again, early in the film, this is like right when they first meet, 
Um, I think they just saw each other in the street briefly. And Don Cheadle's daughter comes up and asks, while he's doing a jigsaw puzzle with his wife, if she can sleep over at a friend's house. And his wife's like, no, like your friend can sleep here or like, you know, different time, whatever. Basically putting the kibosh on it because they don't want to drive her over to her friend's house. And Don Cheadle wants to get out of the house and away from the jigsaw puzzle that he's bored to tears with doing it with his wife. This is, again, sort of his his loneliness and his sort of like... Uh, Any break in the routine. Yeah, anything that'll that'll shake things up a little bit. And as he's walking out the door, his wife shouts, you know you owe that child big time. You would have thought she got you out of a traffic ticket with the smile you had on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that, that was good. Um, I only had the one... Well, I, I tipped my hat. I, I had my quote earlier with uh, with You Wanna Hang. But uh, my other quote, I guess to set this up, Adam Sandler's character has an outburst in Don Cheadle's office. Just just wrecks things. He's got his co-workers, his, 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 fellow, uh, his fellow dentists who work in the same practice. You know, they're giving him the side eye. Everyone's like, what, what the heck's going on? Anyway, Adam Sandler goes into the waiting room and just kind of sits down, slumps over. And Don Cheadle takes a moment, walks in the room... And he says, I don't, I don't know what I said in there that got you so upset, but I'm sorry. And for him to go from having his place of business just wrecked by this man who he just rekindled a, a relationship with, um, and just for him to have like that that Herculean patience. He threw his degrees on the ground and smashed shattered them. Shattered them, yeah. Like, this is also in front of all of his colleagues. And his patience. And his patience. Like, it's just, that's such a brilliant choice for quote because it really illustrates how much patience and, and how... Like invested. How was. invested Don Cheadle is, yeah, yeah. In, in just helping this person who, yeah, he knew him a long time ago, but I dude, he just... I don't know what I said. Patience of a you. saint. As my mother would say. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, clearly he doesn't have anything to be sorry for. Yeah. You know, but he's he's there for him. You know, I thought that was amazing. Definitely. Um, I sorry, Mark. I I that feel was, like I, I was cut you off. Okay. I was done. All right. All right. <laughs> sorry. Do we? Need... I don't know what I what I said to upset you. Well, but I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Give him the talking stick. <laughs> jumping back into the the levity, there's a surprising amount of levity in this movie, and I really enjoyed every minute of it. I enjoyed every minute of the entire movie, but uh, I I'm always good for a laugh. And at one point, you know, Don Cheadle's character is describing and trying to get Adam Sandler's character to remember him. They're sitting in a coffee shop and they're talking and he says, you were my college roommate? And Don Cheadle's character says, yeah, you slept naked most nights and you were a sleepwalker. Worst two years of my life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Which is <laughs> called back to like several times. Yes. And it's amazing every time. And, um... Oh, there's, I have so many quotes, but, uh, but there was another good one, um, talking about Donna Raymar, the, the crazy woman who wanted to sexually assault, uh, Don Cheadle. Charlie, Adam Sandler's character notices her for the first time and sees her and is like, has this holy shit moment. Like that's her. And he says, she's out of her mind. She, it, she wants to blow you. I've seen that thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm sorry. I got to do a third one. It's the, like I said, surprisingly quotable movie. Um, Liv Tyler, the the psychologist that is working with him, Charlie finally agrees to go see this woman, and they meet her. And you know, right before one of his his sessions, you know, he he gets to meet her, and then Charlie Adam Sandler looks at Don Cheadle's character and says, "I I can't see her. She can't help me." Well, well, why not? 
because she's she's got nice tits. That's not good. Since when? Good point. <laughs> yeah, he's looking for any excuse to not be in that room with her. <laughs> Which, you know, going back to your earlier point, Liv Tyler, she's got long brown hair. Yep. You know? Ultra beautiful, tall, slender, and long brown hair. Okay, let's just like, let's just call it out and say like, I, except for Adam Sandler, I'm sorry, Adam Sandler, you seem like an okay dude, but everybody who's not Adam Sandler in this movie is fucking gorgeous yeah like everybody like jada pinkett smith don Cheadle is like one of the most attractive human beings Have you uh, ever seen donald sutherland honestly donald sutherland's a good looking dude yeah yep. and he aged what like a fine wine some of us aged like cheese and this guy's out here like a sauvignon yeah like, i mean oh. it's just and, and, and you know what it is Everybody in this movie, again, with the exception of Adam Sandler, has, like, outrageously high cheekbones. Yeah. And I know that's been associated with beauty for a very long time. Like, everybody's got just super fucking high cheekbones. And then you just marry, like, high cheekbones with a pristine smile and kind eyes, like Don Cheadle or, or Saffron Burroughs. Like, goddamn. Mm-hmm. Woo, man. There's a, lot, there's a lot of pretty in this movie. All right, so are we ready to move on to ratings? Let's rate it. I'm going to fucking just throw this down. Uh, Okay, I'm going to give this movie an 8.0 veneers. Ooh. I like like it. You said 8.7? 8.0. 8.0. Okay. Uh, The the veneers are a callback to Don Cheadle. Uh, He is a dentist, and that is something that he's a little bit uh, remiss about, that, like, all he feels like he does is veneers, and as he puts it, Puts fake teeth on fake people. Phony teeth on phony That's people. That's what it is. You're right. Phony teeth on phony people. Wow. What do you got, Jackson? All right. Uh, I'm going a little bit uh, more irreverent here. Um, I'm going to give this movie a solid 8.9 dentist chair blowjobs. Nice. Whoa. I would not mind 8.9 of those. Nah. What is the conversion to veneers? I think it's depth. Uh, is the point oh. nine? Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> the fraction is is you know a matter of depth. That's more of like a decimal situation, isn't it? Yeah. T- technically, like all continuous numbers are infinity, right? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything's infinitely divisible, including um, veneers. I think, uh, yeah. If you hit them hard enough. If you- <laughs> So I'm throwing an 8.5 on this bad boy, uh, and I think I'm just gonna go 8.5 records. You know, he had a he had quite the quite the record collection. I think. Yeah. He said which he one was, would you choose? He had over the 1,500. The, it's got to be the river. Yeah, it's yeah. got to be. be river. That's a significant album in that, this movie. That is something I'm surprised none of us talked about, and I'm I'm kicking myself for not talking about the music in this movie. Holy shit! All of the records that we get to hear adam sandler listen to to avoid the world are straight up 60s and 70s even early 80s gold Mm -hmm. um bruce springsteen jackson brown the ojs the 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 funk like there are so so many but he he keeps jumping back to this one it was the river by bruce springsteen which was something he jammed to all the time in college and tortured Tortured. john Cheadle with (laughs) yeah yeah. So good. <laughs> okay, so do we want to uh, wrap this like a Christmas present? Put the bach in it. Yes. So, okay, well, that is all for the Elkrep review. Thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for movie reviews or if you just want to reach out or, you know, you, you need a friend or 
honestly anything, just anything, you can email us at three, that's the number three, men and a basement at gmail.com. Uh, we do we do not bail people out of jail, but other than that, I mean, send us anything. I'll come see you. Yeah, he'll visit. He'll visit, um, but only conjugal visits. Is that right. correct? Yeah, yep. that's what I thought. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes and Google Play or wherever you find your podcasts. And until then, I am Colin McLeod, Mark Hall, and Action Jackson. All right, see you in cyberspace. Butt on a bald monkey. <laughs> you said you wanted to get that in there. I really did. <laughs> I <laughs>